This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. Can you believe it's just a few days away from Christmas? Four to be exact. Merry Christmas, everybody, and happy Hanukkah to our Jewish brothers and sisters. Oh, my goodness, we're preparing for a blizzard here in Chicago. I'm coming to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station. The blizzard is supposed to begin here in Chicago. It has already started up in Minneapolis, but it's supposed to begin here tomorrow. Everybody, please, if you can, stock up. And if your neighbors might not be able to stock up, just share. Share some food because we might... It might be a really tough weekend. It's supposed to get very, very cold after that. Santita Jackson coming to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. I want you to meet my morning stars. Hey, Jewel and Barbara and Ashley King and Peter, sending you all much love, and Robert and Carol and Reverend Wright Colonial, uh, Reverend Wright Colonel. Carol, out there on the left coast, my girl, happy Hanukkah to you, Carol, my dear sister. And uh, so many of you, Jewel, hey girl, up there in New York, and I said, Peter, all right, and uh, and I said, Gorsita, how you doing? Everybody like and share. They're on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel, the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe there. And uh, the Santita Jackson and Friends Facebook page, that is the only place where I can accept friends, everybody. Please like me and join me on Santita Jackson and Friends. Let's talk about President Trump and these taxes, former President Trump and these taxes. Will this, how will this impact him politically? What will be the political fallout? Um... What do you think? What do you think? And, of course, Vladimir Zelensky is heading to Washington today. Uh, more than $60 billion has been tucked into this omnibus bill uh, to go to Ukraine. Mm, didn't know that, did you? Well, yeah, that's true. So what's going to happen today? Is he? What is he going to say as he addresses Congress? Will he be able to incline more Republicans in his direction who are saying, look, we can't give you just a blank check. We can't do it. We can't afford it. Uh, what is going to happen, and what do you think should happen? Uh, 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. I am Santita Jackson, and it's a joy to be with you today, just four days before Christmas, in the middle of the Hanukkah celebration. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, but you know, I'm the Christmas girl, y'all. I love it, I love it, I love it, and just... Um, Wonderful, 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 holy, holy season, everybody. In Chicago, we're going to have a high of 32 degrees before the temperatures fall. It will be cloudy as we are approaching the blizzard that will begin tomorrow. Tomorrow, everybody here in Chicago, it's already started in Minneapolis-St. Paul. They're going to only be two degrees above zero today. And the snow, of course, is already falling. Winter storm watches here and there in Minneapolis-St. Paul and here in Chicago. God bless us all. In the, uh, well, in the NBA, the Mavericks will be facing off against the Timberwolves. Got to get that game in before they're snowed out, everybody. The Bulls, 113, the Heat, 103, and in the NHL. This is their kind of weather. The Predators will be facing facing off against Chicago, and the Wild will be facing off against the Ducks. 
tonight, just ahead of our storms. Today is the first official day of winter, everybody, hence the bitter cold. What do you think about that? It's sweeping across the U.S. in the northern hemisphere. The winter solstice marks the shortest day of the year when the earth is at its fullest tilt away from the sun. Many people don't celebrate these religious holidays, and so I say happy winter solstice to you, everybody. It depends upon how close you are to the North Pole, although it feels like we're all polar bears today. It is freezing. It's freezing. It's freezing. Ukrainian President Zelensky will make a dramatic visit to Washington today. Using his first trip outside his homeland since the onset of Russia's invasion to rally U.S. support for his country's defense. <clears throat> Excuse me. What do you think is going to happen? Will it work? He will meet with President Joe Biden. He will also speak before Congress. Uh, the Democratic-led House Ways and Means Committee said Tuesday it will release former President Donald Trump's tax returns. They've just uh, started releasing portions of them within days and asserted that the IRS failed to properly audit the former president's taxes while he was in office. It is. Uh, that is what is supposed to happen. The vice president and the president are supposed to have their taxes audited while they are in office. That did not happen. It just started happening in 2019 when President Trump had already been there. That was his third year. Uh, the committee also released a report Tuesday detailing six years worth of the president's former president's tax returns, including his claims of massive annual losses that significantly reduced his tax Burden, Kind of standard operating procedure in business, though, but it's very interesting, everybody. The winter weather alerts are currently in effect for more than 70 million Americans across the U.S. as a sprawling storm system threatens to deliver a dangerous trio of heavy snow, strong winds, frigid temperatures. Did I tell you blizzards? Yep. That's what we're dealing with, everybody. Please stay warm, everybody. The Biden administration wants... The Supreme Court to allow for the end of Title 42, but at, not at least for a week. On Tuesday, the Biden administration encouraged the court's justices to reject an emergency bid by a group of GOP-led states to keep the controversial Trump-era border restriction in effect while legal, cha- legal challenges play out. And uh, this news, did you know? That 63% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, including nearly half of six figure earners. That's right. 63% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, including nearly half of six figure earners. We need some relief, everybody. We have got Pastor Vicki Johnson with us. So glad that she's with us. We've got this. We are in the Christmas season, right in the throes of it. It's a holy season, but for those of us who are of the Christian faith, it really is a, um, or should I say, and it's a very, very exciting time, a very, very exciting time, um, a time of reflection, I would say, for so many of us, certainly for me, and I, I pray that everyone will feel feel the love to feel the love this weekend. And I hope that it will be so intense, Pastor Johnson, that it will permeate your life throughout the rest of the year. Because so many people struggle at this time. And they struggle because they come into an awareness of a lot of things that are right in their lives and that are not right in their lives. But please, everybody, do not um, alter your lives permanently on a situation that will last temporarily. Say no to suicide. Please don't. Call someone. Call someone. Call someone. 
and um, and get some help. Pastor Vicki Johnson, 80th and Jeffrey here in Chicago, 80th and Jeffrey right on the corner of the St. Thomas Lutheran Church. She is the pastor, and I'm so glad that you're with us today. Oh, what is the good news? <laughs> and I am so glad to be with you on today. Good morning, Santita, and good, good morning. morning to all of your morning stars and friends. There is good news. The month of November went out like a lion for me and ushering in the same for December. I was in New York to sing at the United Nations Chapel for World AIDS Day and to take in a few plays. November 30th, while in an Uber en route to see August Wilson's The Piano Lessons, Starring mm. Samuel Jackson and John David Washington, I received a call from Chicago with sad news. One of St. Thomas's most faithful members and biggest community activist, Evelyn Woodson, passed away. She was in the hospital and had been there for three weeks. As a matter of fact, she had been in the hospital or some type of care facility the majority of the pandemic. But she always pulled through, and we expected the same this time, but it was not to be. While in the midst of walking the family through the process of making arrangements, I was called to perform last rites for the oldest member of St. Thomas, Mother Dorotha Briggs, she passed away the next morning, exactly one week to the day of the previous member. She was 98 years old. She was best friends with Gurnell Sims. Mm. Evelyn's memorial service was Sunday afternoon following worship, and Mother Briggs' funeral was yesterday. This has been a very draining time assisting and caring for the families. And so on yesterday morning, as I lay in bed, I contemplated what activities I could pack into those few hours before heading to the church for the funeral. You know, like cook something for dinner so that when I got back home, I wouldn't have to do it. Or write out more Christmas cards. Or wrap more present. Then I was moved by the Spirit to abandon all of those ideas. I packed my bag and went swimming. Hmm. In, in this season, we are pouring into other people and other things, often neglecting ourselves. Jumping into that water yesterday, feeling that refreshing experience and doing an abbreviated workout was my way of pouring into Vicky, and it gave me what I needed to make it through a very long day. As you are giving to others and doing the most, please be sure to give to yourself. You can give to yourself through prayer, meditation, stretches, exercise, eating fruits, 
vegetables and other healthy foods, taking breaks, soaking in the beauty of nature, finding something that you enjoy, and laughing often, even if it means watching a very old television show. While pouring into others, be sure to pour into yourself. You will be better for it. If you will do this, and I believe that you will, then to me, that's good news. Amen. Amen. Get on your own list. How about that? (laughs) Christmas list. And that's that's especially difficult for women to do. I'm not saying that men find it any, find it uh, any, well, it, you know, we're accustomed to taking care of everybody else. We take care of everybody right. else. We and are so, and But we die uh, of heart disease more than anybody else. Yeah. And there's got to be a connection there. And thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Went swimming in this cold, but I hear you. I'm not mad at you because <laughs> that's what you needed. It's great that's cardiovascular right. ex- exercise, but oh, child. <laughs> let me let me sit in the sauna and then I'm have to stay there all day for my pores to close up. I love you, Pastor Vicky Johnson. Uh, will, will you be uh, celebrating the holiday on Sunday? So there will be Christmas Eve service on Saturday at five p.m. and that's a one-hour service, and then mm-hmm. Christmas Day service at ten a.m., which is also a one-hour service. Jesus is the reason for the season, so it's no time for us to shut down. But I understand well, you, why others do. Well, you know, but let me ask you this just very quickly before I bring on Dr. Knighton. Um, if, if the weather, um, if, if this blizzard and the ensuing cold weather, which would turn everything to ice, if that happens, what will you be doing on Sunday? We will still have worship. I will be there. Okay. Uh, many of our the wonderful thing about St. Thomas is that many of our parishioners are live in walking distance. Okay. Okay. From around the corner, down the street, and so it is not uh, as difficult for them to get to the church as it is for others that live in Maywood or in some south suburb. Okay. So um, yes, I'll be there, and whoever comes. We'll worship together. Well, I just had to ask that question. Had to ask that question. <laughs> Sending you much love, yes. everybody. At 10 a.m. 10 a.m. this Sunday at 80th and Jeffrey yes. at the St. Thomas yes. Lutheran Church. Go on and be there, everybody, and come to the Christmas Eve service uh, at the St. Thomas Lutheran Church. Sending you much love, Pastor Vicki Johnson. Of course, we are now welcoming Dr. Shanina Knight, an infection preventionist, nurse, Research scientist, so brilliant, executive director of the Association for Professionals in in Infection Control and Epidemiology, uh, the largest organization of its kind in the world. So excited that you are with us today. And um, what do you want us to know? Everybody now is talking about this this trifecta, RSV, COVID, and the flu. And now we are going to be gathering, even as we are dealing with we're supposed to have a blizzard here in Chicago, and it, all indications are that it will happen. It's already snowing um, up in Minneapolis, St. Paul. What do you want us to do so that we can stay well? 
Good morning. So for one, um, I was going to say, I actually, I'm in Dallas enjoying good weather a little bit. <laughs> yes, and doing and looking, doing site visits. And I love y'all, but I'm not going to see y'all next week because I really need to take a true vacation. But, um, yes, but um, I wanted to say that one of the main things is that we're not really being thoughtful about our activities. Meaning, I'm seeing people wipe their nose and literally touching surfaces while at the airport. I'm seeing people cough and still not covering their mouth. I'm seeing people, you know, pull their mask down, touch their mask, and they're not practicing hand hygiene before and after. I've really seen people revert back to some of the behaviors that I observed prior to 2020 during the pandemic. With that being said, I always have this philosophy of I assume that I'm that I got it and I assume that everybody else around me got it. Which means that my infection prevention and control practices that I'm partaking in is really to protect myself because I am assuming as well as seeing that nobody around me may be practicing those behaviors to the extent that I may. Understanding yes, I have an infection prevention and control lens. Everybody can be infection prevectionist by taking a few steps and being mindful of those steps. One, understanding that if it is not a part of your body, meaning that if it is not you, let's say, touching your shoulder, if it's not you touching your arm, if it's not touching your belongings, assume that everything around you is germy. So if you are touching elevator buttons, if you are touching grocery store items, if you are touching handrails, if you are, again, fiddling with your phone that you know you haven't cleaned, assume your hands are dirty and you need to clean your hands. And I mention this because I told you our, our cell phones are our third hand, and we touch so much stuff that's around us, but we still touch those phones. We put them up to our face. Then we can't figure out why our skin is breaking out or potentially why we're sick. But we're doing all of this stuff with our phones, and then we have no consciousness of how dirty they are when we leave them on floors and counters, and we're putting them up to our face, and we're doing all of these things and don't realize that it's really harming our skin. The same thing when we do this whole mask protocol. So I've heard people say, oh, no, I think the mask is giving me a rash. I'm not telling you that those things aren't possible. But if you're not thoroughly washing your hands before you put it on, if you're not thoroughly washing your hands when you take it off, then, yes, you are transmitting germs directly to your face, which could then come in contact with your eyes, mouth, and nose. So I really think that in this season, when we think about illness and we say to ourselves, how do we prevent ourselves from getting sick? It's really being conscious that those around you may not take infection prevention and control just as serious, which is even more of a reason why you have to take it serious for yourself because you can't assume that others will protect you or that they have that same vigor, intensity, and care about not getting sick that we all had when we didn't know what COVID was or the severity of COVID. I say that everything should have the same severity of COVID because we need to normalize not being sick. We need to normalize not getting sick. And the best way to do that is to thoroughly make sure you are cleaning your hands, make sure you are conscious of what you touch when you pump your gas, clean your hands. When you are going inside of the store and you have to open the door with the handle, clean your hands. If you're going up and down the escalator, clean your hands. If you touch the counter, clean your hands. 
if you touch the pen pad because you needed to apply your signature or just even a regular pen, clean your hands. Do not make the assumption that these items that are in front of you, others have cleaned. If you are at the bar and you're screaming over the bar at the bartender because the music is loud, other droplets have fell on that counter too, and you're sitting at mm-hmm. that counter. So make sure you act that is wiped down. Clean your hands. Environmental cleaning and hand hygiene are very important, and that is just as important as the emphasis that has been placed on vaccines and everything else. It takes a cumulative or aggregate situation of all of these things to occur in order for somebody to minimize their risk of being sick. So please do not downplay the simplicity of hand hygiene because it matters. (laughs) Dr. Shanina Knight and everybody at Hey, Dr. Nina, H-E-Y-D-R-N-I-N-A. Follow her on social media. There is much more where this came from. Sending you much love and Merry Christmas, my sister. I'm going to see you tomorrow, but I know you're going to be off next week, and I'm glad about it. Back in just a minute with more of the Santita Jackson Show. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show, WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Let's talk about President, former President Trump. Wow, the IRS failed to audit his taxes while he was really throughout most of his presidency, although that is what is supposed to happen, everybody. The president and the vice president are supposed to be under audit by the IRS while they are in office. And it turns out that President Trump, uh, then-candidate Trump, was never under audit of the um, IRS. They were, some people are saying, asleep at the wheel. What do you think about that? His tax returns have finally been released. People have been calling for that since 2016. So what do you think about that? What will be the political fallout? What will be the political fallout? Uh, Much has been made of the fact that he did not pay taxes, that he took a lot of business losses. Um, That's kind of how business in America and tax law works for them, everybody. But let's talk about that. In the meantime, the candidates have filed and Chicagoans will vote to determine who will be the mayor of the city of Chicago. Now, you know what? We've got the Bears. We've got uh, the Chicago uh, hockey team. We've got the Bulls. We've got... uh, We've got soccer. We've got all of that. Now, the other sport in, in Chicago is politics. So we've come through the midterms. Now we are looking at the mayoral race coming up, coming up this in 2023. Have you made up your mind? Well, WCPT wants to help you. We want to keep you informed. We want to help you to decide by giving you information, not a candidate. Although, I want you to join us on Thursday, January 26th at noon as Joan Esposito, Patty Vesquez, and I moderate the WCPT Chicago Mayoral Candidates Forum. You'll hear directly from the candidates about 
the direction they want to lead the city in for the next four years right here on WCPT. The top-tier candidates have already confirmed it's going to be great, everybody. You will not want to miss it. It is going to be something else. So please, 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 everybody, uh, January 26th, mark your calendars. We are getting ready to run for mayor. How exciting, everybody. Uh, So what about President Trump? and former President Trump and his taxes. They were finally released. They were finally released. Will it make a difference? What do you think about the fact that he was never audited while his friend was over the uh, over the Department of Treasury, which houses the IRS, Steve Mnuchin? So what do you make of all of this? And what do you make of... What do you make of it all? I want you to call me at 773-763-9278-773-763-9278. Oh, wow. Since 1977, uh, we've got attorney uh, C.K. Hoffley. We've got Dwight McKee. We have got attorney Robert Patillo. But we're going to start with you, attorney Daryl Jones, chairman of the Transformative Justice Coalition. Uh, what do you make of this? What do you think is the political, the political fallout of all of this? Oh, good morning, Santita. I, I think there's going to be an incredible political fallout that uh, that flows from this. Look, you know, we now are going into a new phase. This new phase is now the big tax lie. And, you know, the, the big piece of this becomes that, you know, we have ordinary Americans that are out here that are being really audited uh, by the RIS for very minor things. And here we have in place, and we're now dealing with this lie that uh, that the IRS has sat on and would not disclose and, and took no action on auditing uh, a sitting president of the United States, doing what they're, what they're uh, bound to be doing. And it comes at an interesting time because, you know, uh, I, I've always said that the integrity of our institutions right now are being tested. You know, we mm-hmm. talk about the integrity of the, of the Supreme Court, the integrity of the Department of Justice. Now it's the, the, the integrity of the IRS that's now becoming under uh, under scrutiny and, and as it relates to this former president and what he's done. So I think that the possible ramifications from this are great, particularly for those who have buttressed, hid, shadowed anything to cover up uh, this former president and knowing what was going on at that time. Those who stood behind him, uh, they've got to be held accountable. And that's what this is all about, in my opinion, at this point in time. You know, we know that Steve Mnuchin knew uh, that the returns didn't add up. That that, that Trump's tax returns didn't add up. He knew that he was uh, that he was not under audit. That Trump was not under audit. He knew that he had not complied with turning over the information that sitting presidents are to give to the IRS, and that the IRS are duty bound to uh, to ask for and to explore to look for any collusion or any other uh, uh, vulnerabilities that are there from our top elected official in the country. So there have got to be political ramifications that come from this. The question is, how deep do they go? How far down do they flow? I think that's the question uh, that, that's posed right now, Santita. And, you know, again, the question is, how much of an impact will the big tax lie now have on the former president and all those uh, minions that were operating uh, as part of his team? Mm. What do you say about this, Robert Patillo? Well, Dwight McKee, the political fallout. I mean, because it would be fine that he didn't pay taxes for many years. But interestingly, American tax law favors business and business persons, and it favors people with a lot of money. 
He so you have to figure out whether what he did was legal or illegal, and mm-hmm. then you have to figure out whether it's intentional or not intentional. Most business billionaires don't pay taxes, so he's really not unique that way. Warren Buffett said that he pays more taxes than his secretary, and he's much richer than than uh, Donald Trump. So the political fallout would be for some they would see part of, as a part of a witch hunt. Others will see it as part of a pattern of somebody who is fundamentally dishonest. I mean, you know, to really understand Donald Trump, you have to understand two things. One is normally Vincent Peale, who is where he gets his attitude from. Secondly is Roy Cohn, where he gets his strategy from. Normally Vincent Peale was his theologian, and his attitude was positive thinking, if you keep believing it, keep saying that it, it will come true. So he's going to never give up. And Roy Cohn was the, the, the lawyer to the mafia and the gangsters. And that's where you get the strategy from. And his thing was, lie, sue, steal, whatever you need to do to win, win. And so what you're dealing with is a person who, one, is going to never give up, and secondly, a person to do anything to win. And so as they keep coming after him, he's going to keep coming after them. What do you think is going to be the political fallout? I mean, he could he could very, 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 very likely be looking at indictments. It will be the most of the political fallout on the tax issue will be on the RAS side. Is that his, he, he don't have responsibility to be audited. He, they have responsibility to audit him. And so you can't blame him because they didn't audit him. And the tax game is the same game for all these guys. Is that zero-sum taxes. Is they try to create as many deductions as they possibly can so that they don't um, have to pay taxes. And so that oldness is going to fall on his accountants rather than himself. <laughs> Because he don't create his own uh, deductibles. Mm. <laughs> well, C.K. Hoffler, what do you see? Well, I see this is a very consistent with Donald Trump's behavior um, prior to him becoming president. I don't know that all of this is really new information. Um, I think mm-hmm. what's new is that we have the evidence. But, you know, when he was running for president, there were questions being raised about his taxes, about him paying taxes, about him defrauding taxes, about him filing for bankruptcy, about him really cheating the system and availing himself of what he could legitimately avail himself of. Now, the question about whether he paid taxes and whether he, over a period of time, this is not just one year, whether he violated the law, I don't know if what he did was legal or illegal, but I'm sure that they're going to delve into that. It's maybe stunning for many but I don't think it's, it's new information because there have been fights for a very long time to get this information. Um, it's not surprising to me that the IRS is asleep at the switch. I think all of that is political. Um, and until there was court action, until there was some mandate or some order, Donald Trump isn't going to turn over anything. Donald Trump isn't going to do anything. Donald Trump is not going to pay anything because he really feels he's entitled. So this information is consistent with 
um, mountain of information relative to the former president. It's consistent with his behavior before he ran for office, while he was in office, and now that he's out of office. The only question is, will there be indictments? How many indictments? Who else will be indicted if there are indictments? And then what's going to happen? Will there be political fallout? Absolutely. There's political fallout right now. There's political fallout over the investigation of the events of January 6th. So whatever he does that's arguably wrong, illegal, terrible, awful, despicable, disgraceful, there's going to be political fallout. And um, will that propel him to the presidency? Well, if he's not in jail, perhaps. So it's just it's always going to be a double edged sword. But this was the person that we knew to be the person before he became president. The only difference now is that perhaps there's a mountain of evidence to support some of the allegations um, and some of the, the, the views that people had before um, he became president when he was running for president. And, and, and for people who knew about this when he was running for president, it didn't make a difference whatsoever. It really didn't. They didn't care. They still wanted him in office. And for his base, they're not going to care. They will still want him in office. The people who love him, love him. And the people who don't, do not. Call me at 773-763-WCPT, 773-763-9278. What do you think is going to be the political fallout? Because, you know, while he does feel entitled, the system has also entitled him, Attorney Jones, to certain privileges. I mean, it pri- this system privileges, and I think we're seeing it so clearly, um, it privileges the moneyed. It privileges the oligarchs, <laughs> uh, the, the people who it privileges people who have businesses. It does not privilege the individual. It does not privilege the wage worker. It just does not privilege you. It does not cover you. It covers people who are making a lot of money or who can make a lot of money. Attorney Jones. No, no, you're absolutely right. It certainly does uh, does privilege them. But one of the interesting pieces that we're going to uh, have to watch with this uh, with the Trump and the uh, the big tax like piece that's coming now uh, is you know one of the things that I find interesting is that during this period right now he's continuing to dominate the news. He's continuing to make that news cycle. So you know, negative as it may be, those that are in his corner. Uh, are going to start, you know, championing it, I would suspect, talking about overcoming the odds, the bad IRS, the mm-hmm. folks that are after him. This is going to be our champion that's going to fight all this stuff off. Uh, he's one of the people. He's, you know, he, the, the, everyone's common enemy is the IRS. And so, you know, he's going to be fighting well, that battle, minute, now, that charge. Daryl, ain't nobody feeling. <laughs> when the IRS comes to your door, you want to run, jump out of a window. You don't want to let him. <laughs> Come on now. Right, right. <laughs> That's what I say. It's a common enemy, kind of common enemy, and so you know that's that's one of the things that you know folks are going to see. You know, is he going to stand up and fight this fight now? Now, yeah, you know, if you're one of those Trump people, you know, you're looking for the fighter to come out, and you know this could really, uh, and I, I I think that uh, Dwight touched on it a little bit. This could really you know serve as a rallying call again for those that are surrounding him and that are his big supporters. That this is an example of the system coming after their guy. Mm. Dwight McKee, your thoughts? Oh, I totally agree with with, with with that. Is that this will become a, another David and Goliath situation, and people will applaud him. Many people will for getting past the IRS. Most people see the IRS as an enemy. In fact, one of the issues that 
Biden is going to have is that they put all these new agents in play, and people resent that. That's going to be a major campaign issue when when the, the campaign starts. And so they will see him as a hero, almost as Robin Hood, who has overcome the system. And he will become envied rather than ridiculed because he figures this out. Even David Chappelle of a day, when he talked about Donald Trump, he, he's the most honest scoundrel he's ever seen before. He said <laughs> that if you don't want me to pay taxes, then change the laws. It ain't my fault. I just took advantage of what he is. He essentially so said what he, Warren Buffett said. <laughs> Warren Buffett said, "I pay more. Uh, my, my my secretary pays more taxes than me." Oh. And if you want me to pay taxes, then change the laws. I'm only doing what you allow me to do. And so it may be despicable, but is it illegal? That's another question. Hmm. But before I go to Earl, let me hear from you, Attorney Robert Patillo. Your thoughts about this? You know, it's interesting that they've been pushing this Trump tax, this Trump tax, this Trump tax so far. I don't think they ever stopped to ask themselves, does anybody other than the uh, the Washington insiders really care? And I, I think that the, uh, what people don't realize is everyone assumes rich people don't pay taxes. We all assume the system is rigged against us. We all assume all these things already exist. All President Trump is doing is confirming those. So do I think this will move the needle? Um, no, I, I think that more so than the uh, him not paying taxes, um, uh, understanding what his true net worth is may be more damaging than uh, anything else. If we, we look at the taxes and we find out that President Trump been broke the whole time, um, that's going to be uh, a hit to his brand more so than his conceptualization that somehow he was being dishonest. His whole brand is being dishonest, uh, that he wasn't paying taxes. His whole brand is... I'm not paying any more than I have to. And he'll try to spin anything. Do I think this moves the needle electorally? No, I don't think so. I don't think anything in uh, 2022 is going to really have an impact on 2024. Uh, but what I do think this uh, uh, this does is uh, further uh, help us understand that many of the things that we were told in politics mattered don't matter. Uh, remember, I used to say that if a candidate has been divorced, they can't win. President Trump shows you that's not true. Uh, you can't have you know, two, three different uh, kids by two, three different women. President Trump shows that's not true. Uh, you, uh, you know, all these criteria that we used to put in place, and I think that we're now seeing the reality of the country that we live in, as opposed to the fairy tale, is going to very much open up democracy going forward. These people do what they want to do. Earl, how you doing this morning? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Santini, to you and your guests and your families, uh, to one and all, and everybody out there listening to our voices this morning. I want to agree with everything that you're, oh, sure. I want to agree with everything your guests are saying, and I was not surprised. Um, We've always, well, let me put it like this. I've always heard that Trump was Cheating on his taxes, there were plenty of people out there. His, uh, I believe his niece was uh, uh, complaining about his taxes. Uh, there were a couple of reporters out of uh, New York that uh, always complained about his taxes and went tried to go to court to get his taxes released. So 
So, no, I'm not surprised by that. But one of your guests did ask a question. Well, let me ask you this. Do we know that he was cheating? Do we know that? Uh, well, we do know that oh, he was cheating while that? he was been a president. Let me, let me tell you why. Okay. This morning on MSNBC, there have been a couple of different guests that said it is by law and statute that the president of the United States is required to be uh, audited every year. Mm-hmm. And he was not being audited every year. Stephen Mnuchin made sure that he wasn't being audited every year. Mm-hmm. Trump knew that he was not being audited every year. So we do know he was uh, breaking the law there. So well, is that Stephen Mnuchin? Well, yeah, because I'm, yeah. I'm asking you, who's who bears the responsibility here? Is it because we don't con- conduct audits ourselves? The IRS conducts audits, right? So exactly. should should we now not take another look at the IRS? Because so they, it seems to me that they are selective in whom they target. Well, I think it's even more cynical and more deceptive that okay. when Trump came in, he and his administration started laying off IRS auditors. Mm-hmm. So therefore... He made it even harder for people of wealth to be audited because it takes a lot of time and energy and people to go through the stacks and volume of paperwork that he submits. It's much easier to go through my taxes than your taxes. So mm-hmm. that's why they would, uh, you know, concentrate on the uh, us as opposed to the uh, Trumps and the uh, Elon Musk and, you know, all of these very wealthy people because it takes a bank of people to go through the amount of paper that is submitted by these uh, tax uh, experts that submit the tax forms. So mm-hmm. I would suggest that, yes, there was a crime committed based on what I've heard today. Now, who shall you blame? Do you blame Trump for uh, and his giving orders to his administration to shrink the size of the IRS? Do you blame Steve Mnuchin for uh, going along with the program uh, about shrinking the size of the members of the IRS? Remember, Trump put the guy in charge of the post office that were ripping out the machines, the automatic machine orders for the mail. Well, remember, it so was Biden who's given us 80,000-plus more IRS agents, right? And, and let us not right. forget that Dr. King lived under IRS audit his entire public career, as dissenters do. My parents get audited all the time. Um, and so I think we have to understand the political nature of this. Let me bring in just Earl. Just you stay with us because you can talk to us. You talk with us during the break. Let me bring on Ted. Ted, how you doing this morning? Where are you? Hey, good morning, Santita. How are you? It's great hearing your voice. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. You know, I mean, I hate to be this blunt in the holiday season, but uh, I, I guess there's another level. You know, you guys talk at a high political level, but, you know, on the streets, I guess uh, I'll be blunt. You know, you'd think uh, I guess they think they're the only ones with guns, you know, and uh, Mm -hmm. the the line in the sand is being drawn. And because 
they tend to be so boisterous in their misguided beliefs that we now all of us know who they are. We all know who our personal enemies are now. And, you know, if, if, if uh, you know, capital stormer types think that it's going to end in a war, then, I mean, you know, again, I, I guess they think there's nobody else ready to fight a war against them. And they're wrong on that. I do, Ted, do you think that's like, where we are now? Do you think well, that we're there, like on the verge of a civil war, a civil conflict? Well, it, I think they. it sounds like that's what they want. Okay, but there are a lot mm-hmm. of street fighters here, uh, you know, who believe as strongly, if not more strongly than they do. And I see myself and others like me as the bodyguards of those who aren't militant, but are still on the right side. And I don't mean right politically. I mean the just side. And, uh, you know, if that's if that's the only way that they know uh, this for this to be remedied, then, yeah, I guess so. But I'm telling you, I don't shy away from that. All right. I stand with America. I stand with Illinois. I stand with my family. I stand with the president. I stand with the country. Mm, 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 mm. Well, Attorney Jones, before you go, you got about a minute. Where do you see all of this going? I mean, you hear a citizenry who are very, very engaged and who are getting very angry about not just at President Trump. <laughs> They're looking at, as you just said, as you said at the top, the system for them is lacking integrity. And I think that's what's going to continue to uh, to unfold here, Santita, is that, you know, we're going to keep seeing that the emperor has no clothes and all the, you know, problems uh, that exist uh, within the system that, that we've, you know, Really have uh, have worked to to respect and have uh, respect this integrity that is now coming under question. Here's the part that I think is going to be uh, very interesting, uh, Santita, and that is this: given the new house uh, uh, the house that's coming in, um, you know, House of Representatives that's coming in, don't look to see any house based investigation into the IRS and and the Trump scenario. They're they're not going to authorize it. So, you know, I don't think there's going to be a federal investigation uh, into this because of the timing of all of this and that the new uh, the new House of Representatives that's coming in will not institute any type of investigation. So there's going to be a, a big cloud that either remains or if there is an investigation, it's going to be one that is very light and, you know, certainly uh, uh, comes up with an alternative set of facts with regards to, to what has happened here. So, you know, I think that the integrity of the system continues to take a hit and the American people will you know, just grow in their questioning uh, of our system and whether or not it is as true to the values as we've always perceived it, meaning that it's representative uh, of, a, of a just democracy. And that's going to be one of the bigger pieces that flows from this. And that's what I look to happen uh, on these next steps coming into 2023. We'll have to see coming out of the civil rights movement. I've seen the rot. <laughs> Let's talk about this. Let's talk about what's happening in education in America. Back in just a minute. We can change the world, change the world, change the world. Oh, yes, we can. We can change the world, we can change the world, change the world. We this is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, 
everybody. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. It's Wednesday, December 21st, four days before Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, everybody. And happy Hanukkah to our Jewish brothers and sisters. Yay, 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 yay. WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station. That is my home, as is AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Let's talk about education today. Of course, earlier this week, we talked about Autumn Manahan, the young lady who is still the would-be valedictorian of her class at Slayton's high school, Slayton, Texas's high school, uh, racially taunted. The young boy, the young man, her classmate, who was taunting her, calling her the N-word, he's living life as, as usual. And Autumn is really struggling. And they still have her in this school that is essentially a jail where she must dress up in prison gear. But something else disturbing is happening with our children. And we're going to have Dr. Michael Beer to talk to us about it. And Dr. Julianne Malvo, esteemed educator, president emeritus of Bennett College for Women, MIT economist. So much brilliance she has. And, of course, she's the dean of ethnic studies at uh, Cal State Los Angeles. And, of course, legal Q&A with CK. you got to help us to understand what we're dealing with, C.K. Hoffler, before we get into this. I've got to dedicate the show today to Steelers Hall of Fame running back, Franco Harris. Just got the word that he made his transition at the tender age of of 72. And Dwight McKee reminded us of the immaculate reception, which he uh, is one of the greatest plays in all of football. Yes, I am a football fan. My father made me watch. He said, half the world is male. We watch football. I don't want you to be left out of conversations. How about that? Plus, he's gorgeous. Oh, my gosh. Bless his heart. And no cause of death, no understanding of what happened to him. But the great Franco Harris has made his transition. And we thank him for all of the wonderful memories that he and the Steelers gave us, particularly in the 70s. In Chicago, we have a high of 32 degrees. It will be cloudy. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 2 degrees and snowing. Mm, in the NBA, the Mavericks will be playing the Timberwolves. And last night, the Bulls are triumphant over the Heat, 113 to 103. Winter storm watch, winter storm watch here in Chicago. It's already snowing up in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Everybody, please take care of yourselves. And if you see someone homeless, get them to a shelter. Nobody should be outside right now because the snow is going to be proceeded by very, very cold below zero temperatures and wind chills. In the NHL, the Predators will be playing Chicago tonight, and the Wild will be playing the Ducks. Vladimir Zelensky will be in the United States speaking before Congress, meeting with President Biden, getting more aid. Tucked in the omnibus bill is $44 billion additional dollars going to Ukraine. He's hoping to change the mind of Republicans who are disinclined to give Ukraine a blank check. Happy Winter Solstice Day, everybody. This is the first official day of winter. And for many people who do not celebrate these religious holidays, Christmas and Hanukkah, Winter Solstice is a great holiday for them. And for those who celebrate Winter Solstice, may God bless you real good. Happy Winter Solstice Day on this first day of winter, everybody. The Democratic-led House Ways and Means Committee said Tuesday it will release former President Donald Trump's tax returns within days and asserted that the the IRS failed to properly audit the president's taxes while he was in office. They were to have done that every year that he was in office. They only started when he was in his third year. Winter weather alerts are currently in effect for more than 70 million people across the United States as a sprawling storm system 
that is bringing us record cold, record snowfall. Oh, it's here, everybody, and it is wreaking havoc upon a busy, busy travel week. Everybody, please take care of yourselves. Take care of yourselves. Those are just some of the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show as we see that 63% of Americans in this holy season, 63% are living paycheck to paycheck, and that includes nearly half of six-figure earners. I guess $100,000 a year ain't what it used to be, Attorney C.K. Hoffler. You know, we came across this story, didn't come across it. It was Dr. Michael Bayer who sent it to us as we've been talking about Autumn Manahan, and we're going to be visiting um, that. Um, we're going to stay on top of that case because this young lady uh, would be valedictorian of her class. As we talked about her this week, we see... Uh, she was being racially harassed by her classmate. He was constantly calling her the N-word. He first called her the N-word in, in the homeroom, and the homeroom teacher didn't stop it, which gave him license and gave the other class, the other, his other classmates license to taunt not just Autumn, but the other, excuse me, African-Americans, other black folks in the class. When she physically defended herself, when you say the N-word, that is frightening to black people. It... it it, it sets off alarm bells for all of us all the time. And she went and physically uh, slapped him. That was it. They pulled her out of school, sentenced her to 45 days in this school for the truant and for, for some kids who are violent. Put her in a prison uniform, which is what they do at this school. And it has been a rough, rough road for her. But you know what? Some of these other children, CK, are struggling um, special needs children. This ProPublica report that Dr. Bayer brought to us. Oh, Dr. Malvo, it'll break your heart. It's a school that calls the police on students every other day. Attorney C.K. Hoffler. Good morning, Santita. You know, this is a crisis. It's a crisis, and, you know, it's probably even more accentuated because we're, we're in COVID. We're still living in COVID. Mm. And the one thing that we know is during COVID, all of the students, all the children, I don't care if they were in public schools or private schools, were set back in some way, not just socially, but academically. And so to think that there are a group of students who have special needs and who really, really need attention on a regular, sustained basis because of a condition that they have, which is really a medical condition medical conditions and are being treated like criminals are receiving substandard um, education, but substandard social integration at the same time. And where the police are being called, and yes, some of them do have behavioral issues. Many of them do have behavioral issues that are because of the conditions that they have and because of other things that are going on in their lives. And this is, this is really where we see the development of the pipeline to prison. And that's why this is a huge, huge issue for the legal community, for the social justice community, for the education community. But I think even though I look at it through the prism of a lawyer, because I see what is happening in our system where we have kids that are that are populating this pipeline to prison early on. I think Dr. Michael Bayer, who's a former Chicago Public Schools principal and educator extraordinary, can probably present this in a way and also Dr. Julia Malvo, that, that lawyers really are, such as, such as me, can't really articulate. So I'd like to hear from Dr. Michael Bear, Santita. 
And Peter. Absolutely. And you know, and this, this panel, as you mentioned, Dr. Malvo is with us, uh, esteemed educator and brilliant economist and just dedicated to all of these people are dedicated to, uh, to our children, to making them all that they should be. Uh, when I shared this, uh, uh, Dr. Malvo and uh, Dr. Malvo was shocked. Uh, Dwight McKee said, oh, no, 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 I got to be on this. <laughs> he said, I, CK, he said, what? I mean, when you, you know, because when you hear about this case, well, CK. Well, the one thing, look, the one thing we know about Dwight McKee, because he's a visionary, because he is someone whose shoulders we stand on in terms of his analysis, his experience, his trailblazing, um, really vision for, for decades, not to date anyone in terms of their age. But, you know, when you have you have extraordinary talent and we have to call it that way, um, I, you know, Dwight McKee is going to offer perspective. And, you know, Mark. Mark Stetson, who's an extraordinary lawyer, you know, as lawyers, you know, Mark, we look at things a certain way. But why don't we start? Um, is this okay, Santita, with Dr. Of course. Absolutely. Good morning, Santita. Uh, yeah, I took you a story um, of Garrison School in Jacksonville, Illinois, and this is a therapeutic day school. And this is a special school. There's a few dozen across the state of Illinois. I'm sure every state has a version of a therapeutic day school. Students are sent to a school like this when they need additional support, when their normal uh, local school cannot handle, you know, whatever needs they have. These are the students with the most needs. And they're sent there most, very often temporarily. Uh, but this school only had 65 students on average enrolled. And the, the population of the school kind of circulates in and out uh, throughout the school year. But only 65 students are enrolled at the school. And yet they called the police and arrested 100 students over the past five years. So that's a rate of one, more than one, almost one and a half per student. You know, so if you go to the school, you have a very high rate of being arrested. And they're just arrest them like, you know, like a, like a play version of prison. They actually bring the kid down to the police station, which is two miles away, fingerprint them, give a mugshot, book them. This is an actual arrest of a child, you know, elementary school age, right? And as mentioned, these are, you know, sure, they do have some behavior issues, but a lot of these are for minor infractions and even for serious behavior issues. This is a school that is supposed to be designed to be able to handle some of the most serious behavior issues. And so you see the the school-to-prison pipeline being built and being acted out on a day-to-day basis in schools like this. Now, this, this school was highlighted by ProPublica as a standout. So they have a higher arrest rate than your average uh, uh, school like this. Um, and if you look at the demographics as I did last night, I was actually surprised that it's only 15% of the students are, are black because what you also find is black students, especially black boys, have a higher representation uh, of being identified as needing special needs, even though we know it's not the case. Um, if you're a quiet white kid sitting in the corner, you won't be identified for special needs, even if you might need them at a higher rate or, or a much more significant rate. So there's only 50% of the students in the school are identified as black. But what the article doesn't highlight is how many of the black kids are the ones being arrested. And I'd be shocked to find if there aren't the black kids who are being arrested at a higher rate, because we know from all the research, which is um, black students are suspended five times higher than white students um, for the same offenses, for minor offenses, just talking out of turn. Uh, you know, to being, you know, minor disruptions lead to arrests. 
And so what you find is that student who has a higher rate of suspension, you're 20% more likely to end up in incarceration later on in life. So you put those two things in together, five times higher rate of suspension for black students. Students who are suspended have a 20% higher rate of incarceration later in life. Right there, that could easily count for the significantly higher rate of black people in prison in the incarceration system than, uh, than every other category. And it starts in school because teachers do not, are not trained and they are not held accountable, neither are the school administrators, for how we treat our students, especially our most vulnerable students, whether they be special needs in this therapeutic day school or whether they're just black students who face a significantly higher rate of discrimination and bias and everything that comes with it in our schools. Oh, wow. Well, CK, you know, we got Dr. Malvo up real early this morning because she's already dealing with Alda Manahan's parents. Uh, we had the honor of speaking with them last evening. Um, wow. Dr. Malvo, fingerprinting, mugshots of these children. What are we doing? <clears throat> we're throwing our children away, Santita, is what we're doing. And good morning, CK, and my brother who just spoke. Um, <clears throat> we're throwing our children away. Oh, and let me correct. I, I don't know. I always do this to his name. It's Dr. Bayer. Dr. Bayer, not Bayer, like aspirin, but that's Bayer. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. I'm sorry, CK, that's my fault. <laughs> okay, Dr. Bayer. Santita do that every now and then, but she's still the best. Simply the best. sweet. Uh, in any case, we're throwing our children away. Uh, but we're not throwing all our children away. We're throwing hmm. black children, marginalized children, which may include Latinx children, some children with disabilities who are more likely to be diagnosed with disabilities uh, if they're black or brown. But we're deciding that these children just don't matter. And so since they don't matter to us, we don't care. Uh, we're throwing children away who do not have empowered parents. But what I want to say about Autumn Monahan and her um, family. Those are empowered parents. Parents. Mm-hmm. They have their daughters back. But all too often, uh, parents, black parents, have been socialized by our system to just be quiet, don't rock the boat. You know, um, so it, it, it's a challenging situation. But the greater thing is what the consequences are for these young people once they become criminalized. You're in the the, the garrison school that um, calls the police on children every other day, every other day. Um, those young people have been criminalized. They've, they've been arrested. They have records. How does this affect their ability to matriculate in college or even in trade school? Mm-hmm. It will have an impact. And so what we know is that our society, first of all, is virulent anti-blackness, um, but it's also... we've. Look at what's happened to our teacher corps. When we look at what happened to our teacher corps, we have fewer black teachers, and they're struggling. And they're dealing with administrators who are racist or racially biased. We're dealing with, uh, or ignorant. Maybe they're not racist, maybe they're just ignorant. But um, that is then on the fault of the school, as well as we should be, if you're not accustomed to dealing with people in certain cultures, you should be trained before you get a job in a school like that. We we really have our young people being attached. My when, when I heard the autumn story, I told you on Sunday I cried. 
when I thought about this young woman, 17 years old, mm -hmm. um, with the world in front of her, would be valedictorian, and everything snatched away from her. Because an evil white boy, and it is not just one, it was six of them. Mm -hmm. She just wasn't being hazed by one person. She was being hazed by six white boys. And I found out from Autumn's mom the reason why they haven't been disciplined. Guess why? They're athletes. Ugh, they're student athletes. And discipline for them would have to be removed from the school, from not the school, from the team. So in order to keep those punks on the team, they allowed this little girl to be essentially brutalized, uh, verbally brutalized on a regular basis. She complained. Her mom complained. Nobody did anything because these guys were athletes. Unbelievable. So we prioritize athletics. <laughs> We prioritize athletics over academics. I know all y'all Jacksons are football fans and all that good stuff. Um, I'm not. Yes. <clears throat> well, my, honey, I was in love with Franco Harris. Just, just leave me alone. Stop. Well, I will tell you, though, I did have the opportunity of meeting him, and I just about oh. melted. And it was so damn, not damn fine. It's not even funny. Not even. Not, not. And we, and we, we mourn his passage. And yes, we, mourn his we passage. do. Oh, Lord. <laughs> You know, well, I will say, where where are my heart pills? But let me just say this to, to Dr. Malvoy's Dr. point. I mean, I have two, both of my sons are athletes. Both of them, one plays college football at Kansas State. The other one is head to Clemson. I'm very sensitive to sometimes how athletes get a pass, particularly in private schools. Because that's, you know, that's where my sons are. But I will say this. It is up to the parents like me. You cannot raise young black men who are athletes and let them believe that they're going to get a pass. You have to do the exact opposite because they will not get a pass. They will go to jail because first and foremost, before being an athlete, they're young black men. So th that I just want to put that caveat in there because I live in the world of athletics and at least for the next four or so years, we'll be living in that world because of the, the, where my children are. But absolutely, positively, I have a case right now. To your point, Dr. Malvo, a case right now in the Atlanta metropolitan area against one of its largest and most prominent private schools where not one, but two young black girls were sexually assaulted by a football player. And the school took the side of the football player because he had been recruited and all this kind of stuff of the football player initially didn't believe the first student. Her parents, she had been at that school since she was in third grade. Her parents took her out of the school and then he did it again to another black student. So I say this to say, and then, and then of course, um, the school had no choice and, 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 and he was tried and um, convicted on the first case and then took a plea on the second case. So my point to you is, yes, athletes in some instances, they really, really do get a lot of, a lot of favoritism, a lot of favoritism. But black athletes don't always get a lot of favoritism. Or if they do, it's just this delay because you're pushing it down the line. And at some point, at some point, justice is going to kick in and it's going to be more severe than the white athletes. So 
So for this young girl to have been teased, to have been called the N-word, to have been pushed into a corner that way for her career by a number of athletes is tragic. It's is tragic know, and makes no sense. But arresting and fingerprinting these kids and then put, wait a minute, and then putting the arrest in the paper. I mean, I think that's one of the things that, I mean, I cannot wait to hear what Dwight McKee, Robert Petillo, attorney Mark Fancher, have to say about this. And, I mean, Dr. Bayer putting them in the paper, are you serious? I mean, that's how do you... System, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, if you look at basic psychology, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that you need physiological needs, right? Food and shelter, mm-hmm. right, just to live. The next thing are safety needs. And what schools do by suspending kids for minor infractions that other kids get off the hook for um, by calling the police on them. Even if they're not arrested, the police are called regularly to schools all over this nation, and they come into classrooms, they come into offices, they talk to kids. They're used as a tool to threaten and bully kids. Um, then if they're pulled out, they walk into a police car, they get that perp walk, right? Oh. Students have, have experienced that. They get a perp walk. Every single kid is looking out the window saying, look at little Johnny, he's going to, the, he's going to jail. And then at this school, they, you know, this town has nothing else going on, so they put in the paper. I mean, it, it's, it's criminal what they do to these children. And so this child, these children who experience this, grow up thinking the world does not want them, the world does not need them, the world does not love them, the world hates them. And so how are you going to, as, as a child, can you imagine, we've all been children, think of how fragile your minds are, how fragile your emotions are, mm. and you're being told by everyone who is supposed to express love for you that you are not valued, you are not wanted. So what do you think is going to happen? Are you going to learn? Are you going to change? Mm. Do you think the child's going to improve? No, they're going to go down, you know, what we call the wrong paths or whatnot. Well, stay right there. Worse after that. No, stay right there. I mean, you're normalizing prison for them. Yeah, you know Just a minute on the Santita Jackson Show. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Getting ready for a winter storm. It's already started. Matt, I'm seeing you up there in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Stay warm, my dear, 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 sweet, sweet friend. And um, here in Chicago, it's going to begin tomorrow. Uh, they say at the beginning of the afternoon, they're pretty accurate about these things, but it might even begin earlier than that. So we will see. Attorney C.K. Hoffler, of course, we have got Dr. Julian Malvo, the brilliant economist, president emeritus of Bennett College for Women, and the co-chair of the Push for Excellence program. Let me not forget that. And the dean of ethnic studies at Cal State Los Angeles and radio host and pundit. She's just she can't stop working because the, the brilliance is off the charts. We've got attorney Mark Fancher, who we're going to hear from shortly, uh, brilliant author and critic and, and civil libertarian, brilliant lawyer. Of course, uh, Dwight McKee, can't wait to hear from him, brilliant social scientist. Um, who, who else do we have? We have Dr. Michael Beyer, 
former Chicago principal, Chicago public school principal. I got to say it 50 times, CK, so I can get it right. <laughs> and of course, he is an educator and an education reformer, really helping us to just get on point, everybody. And attorney Robert Patillo, we didn't even realize that Robert was there being so quiet, brilliant civil rights lawyer, uh, rainbow push. And of course, uh, from the, um, had you all have, both of you have shows on WAOK, uh, Every uh, He's every Sunday from 1 to 4 Eastern Standard Time. And, of course, you're every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. CK, we got a lot of people to hear from. Take it away. Well, I think, you know, Robert Patillo. Robert Patillo, who you introduced brilliantly. But I think what, what people also miss in this equation is that he's really an outstanding lawyer mm-hmm. and provides great legal analyses as well. Robert, what do you have to say about all this? This is, this is I, I believe it's incredible. It's disgraceful, quite frankly. And I just want to know how legal it is, how legally permissible it is to put mugshots of children. Oh. It to me as though their privacy issues, their juvenile, um, their rules relative to being able to publicize their, I don't know if they put their photographs, their names. It seems like there'd be some legal issues surrounding that. That's my instinct. That's my sense. And something definitely we need to look into. Robert, what do you say? Well, you know, it was interesting listening to the conversation because it, it, it's more of America being exactly the same because all the stuff you guys are talking about happened to me while I was in school. Uh, when I was in fifth grade, the little white girl named Amanda accused me of touching her butt on the school bus. What actually happened was we were getting off, the bus stopped, everybody lurched forward, and everybody bumped, and then we stopped and went back. So they went to the principal, and instead of just talking to me and the, or talking to the bus driver or anything, explaining what happened, uh, they put me in handcuffs to walk me through the school and uh, tried to, yeah, that, that happened to me. And uh, they put me in handcuffs, walked me through the school, walked me to the principal's office. They didn't call my mom. They called the Columbus, Georgia Police Department to come in and talk to me. Uh, and they were ready to arrest me in fifth grade for the bus stopping. Um, and so uh, I'm not saying, I think one of the coaches, actually it was my uh, social studies teacher, Mr. Weeks, uh, who talked to the principal and just kind of explained that I, because I was a straight-A student and I was um, uh, kind of one of their more academically gifted uh, students, uh, he talked them out of since I wasn't that kind of kid and they uh, let me go. Uh, then they uh, put me in in-school suspension for two weeks for literally nothing at all. And I think to myself, tell this day often, that if, it, if I wasn't, you know, the top student in the class, if I wasn't, you know, I didn't have a teacher who was willing to advocate for me, uh, they would have took me to jail. And that would have been on my record permanently uh, going forward. They would have had me in uh, the alternative school program. They would have changed the entire trajectory of my life. More than likely would not be here right now without Mr. Weeks standing up and advocating for me. So it's not as if these things are uh, completely theoretical. And it happens throughout. It's almost a gauntlet for young black boys trying to make it through the school system without being put into the uh, 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 the uh, place of being considered a, a problem or a bad kid, uh, X, Y, Z. Uh, uh, and then it continues going forward. When I was a junior in high school, speaking to my guidance counselor, I said, well, you know, I want to go to MIT. I want to be an aerospace engineer. Uh, he said, well, maybe we can send you to Columbus Tech and get you a technical degree uh, to work on, work on HVACs and those sorts of things. And I, I said to him, you know, that's fine for some people, but that's, that's not exactly what I was um, 
uh, looking for. So when you have the the twin uh, the twin enemies of low expectations and over criminalization, the ability to make it out of that system uh, in any way, shape, or form, well, uh, and into prosperity, uh, we talk about the number of young black boys that don't make it through school, but we don't talk about the system that is failing them that is doing everything they can to push them out of that. And it's important for us to understand that that system still exists today. That was 25-ish years ago, and things are not much different now. And, of course, there have to be privacy concerns with regards to publishing these photos. Of course, there have to be concerns um, with the mental trauma because we're not exactly bringing in uh, grief counselors and people to talk to students if they are falsely accused. Uh, we have this presumption in American society that black folks, for some reason, are just uh, physically and mentally stronger in those get-over things, uh, and that it's, uh, the traumatic experience like that won't affect them academically, won't affect their relationships with law enforcement, won't affect their relationship with women uh, going forward. So we, we have to start taking a holistic approach to how we see these things and start humanizing black boys. There's a conceptualization of social science called age overestimation. Uh, we saw this very much in the Trayvon Martin case and Tamir Rice case, where uh, American society, if they see a 12-year-old white boy named Timmy, uh, they see a child. If they see a 12-year-old black boy named Trayvon in a hoodie, they see a grown man and they treat them as such. And we have to uh, work in our communities to uh, put our people uh, in school so we have somebody to stand up, someone to advocate, someone who sees them as a child, someone to treat them as such, to provide the resources necessary because we are ruining our, our next generation while they're still in the nest and not giving them the opportunity to go forward. And, and as I said, it didn't call my parents. They didn't call me when I knew. It just happened to be one teacher that really believed in me, that stood up for me. And we have to put more of them around to protect our young boys. Mm. And, and and our young girls, and our young girls, you oh. know, we don't need to forget Jaisa Scott and um, almost, you know, 15 years ago in Pinellas County, Florida, she was five years old and she was having a meltdown. I know y'all remember this case. And her, the, the principal, the principal came in, was, was threatening her, standing over her um, and, and threatening her. Then the police came, put her in handcuffs, they were the zip ties. And then they took her and put her in shackles over her ankles in the back of the police car for three and a half hours and tried to Baker Act her, which in Florida, that means they tried to institutionalize her and would not allow her mother to take custody of her for three and a half hours. That was the case I actually had. That happened 15, almost 20 years ago in Pinellas County, Florida, a young black girl, five years old, having a meltdown, like, by the way, a lot of the other kids. And so, you know, this is really, really something that we have to pay attention to, whether they have emotional developmental issues or not, it's happening at alarming rates. And I think COVID has made it worse. COVID has made it worse, Santita. Mm. You, know, you know, let me hop in. I'm glad that CK mentioned the case of the young girl in Florida. I can never forget it because she was such a tiny little thing. And mm-hmm. you saw her, you know, in handcuffs, in shackles. But when attorney Patillo, my dear friend, talked about black men, I just wanted to say, this also happens to black girls. Look at what's happened to Autumn, so many others. There's been research. Um, a young lady who used to work at the Urban League has a book up that talks about the way black girls are seen as adults as early as nine years old. As early as nine years mm-hmm. old. Seen as adults, and because they're seen as adults, are treated as adults. 
the mm-hmm. that a deltification of study out of Georgetown. Yes. The adult, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but you the know, adultification the, the, of black girls—it's—it's it's unbelievable. But uh, but what we have forgotten—we we don't see black children as children. We see white mm-hmm. children as children, um, but black children are seen as adults. They're seen as frightening. I mean, I just go back in, in my own personal history when I used to go to visit the elementary school my nephew was at. And he's a tall kid. He's five, six, five now. He but he was t- always tall. The white teacher had him removed from the classroom because she was afraid of him. Mm-hmm. Now, this boy is as meek and mild as anybody you know. When, when he's not using my mouth, which he does sometimes, we have the same birthday. But he's about <laughs> as meek and as mild as this, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. She was afraid of him. And when she uh, articulated her fear, um, she said she did not ever want to see a, a black man, this is a third grader, standing that close to her. So she implicitly sexualized it, you know, standing so close. We have got to get better people in our schools. We have to insist on it because as long as we have these racists, these people with unconscious biases or whatever else they are in our schools, our young people are going to be treated differently. I mean, Robert, your story, bumping into somebody, you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of Tulsa. When Dick Rowland bumped into Sarah Page and a white man then took that and said, <clears throat> Dick Rowland raped Sarah Page, he bumped into her because it was on an elevator and the elevator um, jostled. And the next thing, you know, you had a headline in the newspaper to lynch a Negro tonight. <sighs> so literally, we've been over-sexualized, over-adulted, and disproportionately punished. A little jostle, you bump into somebody, that's nothing. But it has the potential of derailing your life. As we're, That's why we're so concerned about Autumn, is the possibility that aspects of her life have been derailed. Everything has not yet been settled with her for the school. Mm-hmm. And so this is, um, you know, this is frightening. But what it is, is, you know, once upon a time, we protected our babies. We surrounded them with love. We had teachers who went out of their way. If you didn't have something to eat, they brought you something and gave you the little 35 cents you needed for your lunch. Now we have indifference. And that indifference will kill a generation. Absolutely. Absolutely. CK, we haven't heard from Mark Fancher and Dwight McKee. Oh, I can't wait to hear what they've got to say. Ooh. Well, you know, Mark, what do you, what do you, what do you think the solution is? Well, the solutions are already there. Uh, all of these things are, are, in many cases, just uh, patently illegal. Uh, there are potential Fourth Amendment violations where there are unreasonable seizures and excessive force used when kids are handcuffed. Uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act provides that uh, you can't exclude or discriminate against people with disabilities. And when they have them, you have to make reasonable modifications and accommodations for, for them. Uh, the Federal Rehabilitation Act provides that recipients of federal funds can't discriminate against people with disabilities, so it's just a matter of enforcement of laws that are already on the books. But uh, while we're talking about one case today, uh, we have to remain mindful of the fact that this is pervasive. It happens all the time, uh, nationally. Uh, Back in 2012, the Department of Education's uh, Civil Rights Unit 
uh, did a study that showed that uh, at that time about 12 had disabilities, but they accounted for 75% of the students who were placed in handcuffs or other physical restraints. And then when you look at black students in particular, they constituted about 19% of those with disabilities, but they also accounted for 36% of those who were subjected to handcuffing. Uh, so you've got discrimination both with respect to disabilities and race. And uh, to make it even more personal and, and up close uh, for, for me, I represented a seven-year-old child several years ago in Flint, uh, which because of the water crisis, resulted in many of the children having disabilities, uh, mm. and he uh, dealt with ADHD. He was seven years old. Uh, he was in an after-school program, and at a certain point, uh, he began to, he kicked a, a refreshment cart and ran up and down on the bleachers. Uh, instead of referring to his uh, individualized education program, which was developed for him, which provided that if he had an episode, his mom was to be called, uh, they instead called the police. Uh, the police arrived. Uh, they immediately put the seven-year-old in handcuffs. Uh, they called mom and said, come get your child. Uh, she came, found him in handcuffs, and was outraged uh, and demanded that he be released immediately but they couldn't release him because the police officer didn't have the key. And uh, he was left in cuffs for a full hour before they were finally able to release him. Uh, so that's just one of so many examples of, of what happens yeah. nationally, daily. Uh, and this is just with children who have disabilities. Uh, you know, children of color, specifically black children, uh, are, are, are dealing with the school-to-prison pipeline phenomenon all the time. Uh, and uh, it, it's something that people are more conscious of, but it has not yet, it's not yet a problem that's been resolved. You know, the, the question I have, the question I have, and maybe Dwight McKee can shed some light on this, but what is, what is a child to do? Now, let's just say hypothetically, we don't want to say, but hypothetically, many years ago, you know, when people could have been in high school, elementary school, and someone used the N-word and started you know, yelling and, and, and calling, you know, black students inward. Those were fighting words, I'm just saying, back in the day. And no one really got arrested um, because it was not, it was, it, was really, it was just, that was just what happened. Now, we, we're talking like maybe 40 years ago in school. And so this is not a new phenomenon. It's actually always been. And maybe the 50s, when it happened, people, young kids did get killed. Black kids did get killed if they um, thought or even spoke up about being called, you know, the N-word or worse, or dogs being sick on them. Many of them were killed. But I remember when I was young where, you know, people, just, those were like fighting words. And somebody was going mm -hmm. to get girl or boy. So to, to Dwight McKee, what do you, what do you see historically? And what lessons can we learn historically, and what advice can we give the young kids today who are in these situations think, in school? I think we should do just what she did, is hit him with the bob gun. And she went upside <laughs> his head. He, she was the only one who protected, protected herself. Uh, I, I am concerned with what well, two things happened. One is that the kids, many of the kids today, can't fight or didn't don't learn to fight because my uncles and daddies in jail or away from the house. 
And so they feel like shooting is the only option because a lot of these kids can't fight. We had a, a process where we resolved all issues at 3.15 on, on Fridays. Mm. All issues were resolved for the week, 3.15 in, in the schoolyard on Friday. So by Monday, everything was worked out because everybody knew what was going down. You had a list of folk that you were going to deal with on Friday. And I'm not trying to say that violence is the answer, but I'm saying that violence is an answer when you're trying to protect yourself. Uh, my concern in this situation, though, is the generational impotence of the parents. I don't understand how all of these parents can see a pattern that was going on in these schools and they themselves not organize and confront these issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, if half your children are going to jail... And, and it's in the paper, Dwight. It's in the local paper. How do you, how do you not organize the fight against it? How do you not bring in pastors and bring in lawyers and how does this not become a civil rights issue for that community? That's very confusing to me. I don't I don't really understand that part of it. And then lastly, I think that we have to really stop sending mixed signals to these white kids by glorifying the word the, the N word. Because they think that becomes their rite of passage. They hear these kids and us call each other that and think they have somehow an implicit right to use that word trying to be hip or trying to socialize or trying to be part of the in crowd. And so we really have to stop sending mixed signals and and and, and present the word for what it is is a word of degradation and a word that is you know, nothing to be proud of, but to be shamed of so they will know there's the consequences for using that word. A lot of these white kids think that, that, that they have the right the right to use that word because mm-hmm. they've seen it on the video or heard a rap star use it. And so we have to stop sending missed messages to these white kids. You know, because there was a time when when Al Bell owned Stax Records, when Barry Gordy owned uh, owned Motown, uh, our black-owned record companies would not allow the word to be used. You didn't do that because you didn't give your enemy permission or your opponent, the people who who use that to degrade to degrade you. What? Well, I mean, come on. Al Bell wrote "Respect Yourself" by the Staple Singers, right? <laughs> Well, Santita, on, on that point, on that point, sorry to, to jump in. I think also uh, we have to we have to look at it from a federal level. Additionally, I think there's no reason that we can't challenge the FCC to find mm-hmm. out why exactly you can you can say the N word on the radio. Apparently, you can put that in the album and be released. Now, you say something about the Jewish community, that album will never be released. You say something about the LGBTQIAPK plus community, that album will never be released. You use any slur about any other group. Um, they're not playing the album. They're not uh, putting the video on TV. The record labels won't sign you. So wait, 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 wait. When I spelled it this week, this. I was reprimanded, and I'm not mad. I was reprimanded. Uh, they said, you know, you can't use that word. You can't even spell it. I said, but, you know, when you sanitize this, do you know what happened to this girl? And people in 
my community and the black community feel that the sanitization of this word in that context is wrong. But if I want to sing it and call a black woman a bee or someone who's very promiscuous, there's no problem, Robert. Yeah, well, at that point, let, let's remember, in, in hip-hop music, 20 years ago, you would hear the F word with regards to the LGBT community and pretty much every other song. The LGBTQ community went to the FCC and said, "We're not, uh, you're not going to put those in songs anymore. And they completely took it off in about three or four years. You don't hear it at all anymore. So it's not as if it can't happen. It's simply we do not have, uh, in particular right now, we have a Democratic administration. You know, somebody should just you know, put a little bug in the president's ear. You can take the N-word out of music in about 15 minutes with a presidential directive. We just haven't done so yet. Hmm. A CK? Got You know what, everybody, if you could stay with us on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel and Santita Jackson and Friends, because I want to give you all a proper way to uh, to wrap everything up. But, CK, we're about to go off the radio here in about a minute. Yeah. What say you? I think, you know, this is one of those fights we have to keep fighting. But I think the fight also starts at home. We have to protect and take responsibility for our children as well and not allow these things to perpetuate. You know, I know that some families don't feel like they have access to lawyers. You know, to Dwight McKee's point, this should be a civil rights issue. A lot of people don't even know how to make it a civil rights issue. They Mm -hmm. may call somebody, but they may not get a response. They don't know how to reach out to civil rights leaders. They don't know how to begin the dialogue. But it's got to be more than that because for it to be an issue where that a community takes up, there's got to be momentum. And I think for that, we have to keep fighting and keep calling. And a lot of parents do. But what we should not allow is for it to continue because it happens to Autumn. It happens so frequently that we're losing, keep saying this, we're losing a generation. We've been losing generations. And when we look on the street and see what kids are doing and falling prey to gang violence, is because we're not attacking the issues at the core. But the streets will take them. The streets will absorb them, and the streets will give them a place where they can feel at home, more at home than in a classroom where someone's using the N-word, ostracizing them and making them feel like the other and hopeless, and their face plastered in the media or on the newspaper. That's, that's just disgraceful. <laughs> and this young man who attacked, who attacked Alna Manahan, he's not in the paper. The paper, the newspapers are protecting him, Julian Malvo. Hey, everybody, stay on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. We're going to get on out of here. I want to thank Dr. Julianne Malvo. Of course, this is a legal Q&A with C.K. Hoffler. C.K., when are you going to be on Court TV? I'm going to be on Court TV next week. We're going into, you know, we're in the holiday season. Next Tuesday, I believe, I'm on Court TV. Yes, we're in the holiday season. Attorney Mark Fancher, everybody, and, of course, um, we love you, Mark Fancher. The Negroes of Friends Village. Get that book for someone for Christmas. The Negroes of Friends Village. Dwight McKee. Uh, Robert Patillo. Of course, check him out. I don't know if he'll be on the air on Sunday, but he is on every Sunday on WAOK from 1 to 4. And, of course, CK's on uh, on Sundays. And, of course, CK's on WAOK every Tuesday at, at, at 11 uh, Eastern Standard Time. When are you on the radio, uh, Dr. Malvo? Uh, Monday mornings, 9 a.m., WPFW-FM, WPFW-FM.org, if you want to listen to it live streamed. Um, We will be on Monday talking about Kwanzaa. Okay, and so that's 9 Eastern time.
9 Eastern Time. Okay. All right, everybody. <laughs> WPFW. Yes. Thank you. One more thing. Um, nope. You know, I, I, I gotta go. I gotta get out. But hold on, everybody. Stay right here on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel and Santita Jackson and Friends. See you tomorrow on the Santita Jackson Show. Love you.